On this episode of the Fantasy Fallout Podcast, Brandon and I will continue to break down the news from NFL training camp, telling you what's relevant and what's not. We'll also be finishing up our positional rankings, going over the tight end position, as well as our thoughts on defenses and kickers for this year. Be sure to listen and stay tuned throughout the episode for all of this and more. Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Fallout Podcast. We're actually recording this episode the day after we did our mock draft. So not a ton of news to go over today. We do have another viewer request, but really this episode, we're going to get right into the rest of our positional rankings. Going to bang that out today. And then we will focus the next couple episodes on some other topics. Uh, I'm pretty excited about these ones coming up. Uh, Some of them include like over-unders for like players, our views on Dynasty. We'll have an FFPC draft coming up. We'll also maybe have an informative episode on like just general questions that you might have before your fantasy season. And then hopefully we'll have weekly recaps throughout the NFL season as well. So busy times ahead for the Fantasy Fallout podcast. But Brandon, are you excited? We're covering, I think, the three most exciting positions in fantasy football. I think so. I think so. You know, there are a lot of fantasy football podcasts out there, and they focus on running backs and wide receivers and quarterbacks. Um, so this is a this is our thing. The fantasy follow podcast talks about tight ends, defenses, and kickers. It's what we do. Yeah, we get right into the nitty gritty. We we get dirty on this podcast. Oh boy. We, oh, we will scrounge the bottom of the barrel to get as much fantasy value for you as possible. Exactly, exactly. People talk about, you know, five or six points per game being a big factor between two different players in their rankings, yet they ignore kicker and defense where you can potentially extract five or six points per game. It's crazy. It's crazy. It really is. I, I actually, that reminds me of an FFPC league that I did. I earned a first round buyback in 2020 uh, with Alvin Kamara and undrafted rookie James Robinson. And I did not leave enough fab dollars to get another kicker. And my kicker suffered a, a seizing ending injury and I lost because I did not have the money to get a kicker. So... Yeah, it's definitely relevant, and there's definitely value that you can get at these positions. Obviously, you're listening right now. You're dialed in. You're ready for your fantasy draft, but we're just here to help you just get that extra value so you can win your championship. So that being said, are you ready to get into the news? For sure, Jake. What are we talking about first? All right. So not a lot of news today. Uh, obviously, we just we just talked yesterday when we were recording the mock draft episode about all the news there. Uh, so that being said, there are still a couple pieces here. J.K. Dobbins is actually cleared off the pup and on track for week one, uh, whereas Gus Edwards is not, and they could hold him until after week one. 
So this is a stunning role reversal between these two, where Gus had the cleaner injury. He was he was healthier overall than JK for much of training camp, and then JK is just suddenly off pop, and he's going to be ready for week one. You have to be thrilled about this, Brandon. Um, I'm honestly a little disappointed that it didn't come later uh, because I was incredibly confident that J.K. Dobbins was going to play week one. Um, and now everybody's going to think that he plays week one. But still, I see list after list of from these rankings websites where he's in the 60s and the 70s um, in terms of overall players. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, we saw him be an RB1, then we saw him get hurt, and now I'm ready to see him be an RB1 again. It's just that simple. Um, and it's, you know, poor one out for Gus Edwards, but it's even better for J.K. Dobbins to have uh, Mike Davis as his backup because Gus Edwards is relatively competent. And at this point in his career, Mike Davis is dusted. So, uh, yeah, a little sad that this news came out, but I'm happy for J.K. Dobbins and I'm happy about the shares of J.K. Dobbins that I already have uh, kind of already cashing in a couple rounds of value because I'm sure his ADP is going to spike in the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, that's really kind of the big takeaway for me in regards to this news is J.K. Dobbins ADP will go up as a result of this. People were concerned that maybe he wouldn't be playing a couple games and he'd be coming back off the injury, maybe not ready. But and I'm going to have to adjust my rankings potentially as well because I had J.K. Dobbins out for four games. I had Gus Edwards out for two games. Uh, this could be – there could be a lot of value here on J.K. Dobbins if you're able to get him later in the draft. I don't think that's going to happen, though, and I'm still not necessarily drafting him. I'm not super confident in the Ravens' offense. Uh, but, again – he does have first crack in the backfield, especially with the news that Gus may not be ready. And we'll, who knows? He he could take the job and run away with it. So we will see on that. All right. Another piece of news for a running back that I'm a little bit more excited about. Isaiah Pancho is taking snaps with the Chiefs' first team, both as the running back and the wide receiver. Andy Reid compared him to LaShawn McCoy, basically called him a bigger LaShawn McCoy, and very excited to potentially see him playing in the Chiefs' offense. Um, I think we had mentioned on the previous episode that we had just recently published that the Chiefs and the Packers are two teams where there's a lot of uncertainty on like who's going to be the guys on the field but you want the guys on the field. And is Brennan, do you think this is the clarity that we've been looking for? No. Or do you think it's a mirage? I think it's probably neither clarity nor mirage. I think he just is another name in the mix that muddles it up even more. You know, before we had a lot of options that we weren't that excited about. Um, and now we have one additional option that we can pretend to be excited about um, if if everything falls his way. Um, and I think at this point, you know, he's as good of a bet as any of them. So at the end of your drafts, go for Isaiah Pacheco. Um, but 
But no, I think it makes it more confusing, not less, unfortunately. See, for me, I'm out on Clyde. I'm mostly out on these guys in the Chiefs offense. For the running back position, I'm not excited about I'm not excited about Clyde Edwards, so I'm not excited about Ronald Jones. Jarek McKinnon had a good playoffs, but again, he was not super exciting to me. Uh, I'm I'm inclined to believe that this could potentially be like a James Robinson type situation where we did not believe that James Robinson was going to take the job from Leonard Fournette the year that he did. And James Robinson only had one of the best running back seasons for an undrafted rookie ever. And he, quite frankly, surprised everybody. I don't want to be surprised again. But at the same time, the running back in Kansas City, there's a lot of them. Now, it could be very well that he's the guy that emerges out of there. And of all these guys, I would rather take the shot on him because his ADP is so late, but I wouldn't necessarily count on it. I think that's a fair assessment there. Yeah, yeah, no, you can't. I mean, nobody's relying on him anyway, but um, yeah, you certainly can't count on him. But uh, I just wanted to read out some interesting stats. Um, I haven't heard anybody else read out these numbers yet. I think it's important that people hear them to uh, temper their expectations. Um, so the, the stats are 647 yards, 3.9 yards per carry, five rushing touchdowns. And then 13 receptions for just 25 receiving yards, no touchdowns. That is those the, is college stats. Those are the senior year stats for Isaiah Pacheco at Rutgers. Um, so, I, I mean, it's possible Rutgers just has a bad offensive line um, and that held him back. But there's nothing in those numbers that indicate that he has any uh value uh, but but maybe he's developed and maybe he was just in a bad system who knows you know the, the, the press is certainly good but you know james robinson had a little bit of a college track record um and isaiah Pacheco does not have that fall back on so he's he's purely camp hype but maybe it'll be something but there's nothing else backing up his profile at all yeah yeah I, I agree. Romeo Dubes, uh Dubs. Romeo Dobbs, Dobbs, sorry. They they he told us how to pronounce it today. Romeo Dobbs in Green Bay has been turning heads, and Aaron Rodgers seems to be reportedly really happy for him. He said in camp that he's consistently made one or two wow plays per per day. And Rodgers said that normally I don't really rely on rookies. And I don't expect to see that stuff out of rookies, but I've seen it out of him. Anything we want to make of that? Uh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, we know very little about the Green Bay receiver situation. Um, and at this point, I think Romeo Dobbs is is easily the number two receiver worth drafting in Green Bay. Um, and he's closer to number one than number three for me. Um, very excited to take the young talent, big time college production at Nevada. Um, praise for Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, it, it might just be easier for him to step into a big role than it is for Alan Lazar to change his entire playing style. Um, so, yeah, no, I expect uh, I expect decent things from Dubs at this point. And I think getting him at the 11th round or later is great value. I would I would pay attention to Dobbs. I wouldn't necessarily get on the hype train yet. Aaron Rodgers has come out at the same time saying that he he wants to start the veterans, pretty much. But the fact that Dobbs is turning his head so much may say to me that maybe later in the season he's worth the flyer if you can get him on waivers. Uh, maybe if Christian Watson doesn't come back healthy, isn't really ready to go, then he could see more targets than we're expecting. But I, I'm I'm watching this particular player with interest, but I'm not going to necessarily go up and draft him super high because of that. Yeah, no, I think at this point, um, he's definitely should be ahead of Watson in any rankings. Uh, you know, Dubs Dobbs Dobbs is getting reps and practicing with Aaron Rodgers. Watson's not. Watson is a second rounder. Dobbs is a fourth rounder. That's not that huge of a difference. Um, so there's just, and, you know, Christian Watson isn't like he's this high production college player. You know, he's kind of an athlete that people were hoping would get better in the NFL than he was in college. So uh, it could take time for Watson. Dobbs seems like he's ready right away. Um, I think you've got to draft the guy that has all the hype right now in Romeo Dobbs. All right, final piece of news. The Browns have refused to trade running back Kareem Hunt. Um, I'm still watching this. I'm still hoping that Kareem Hunt gets traded. If he does, Nick Chubb is immediately a top 10 running back and should be going in the first round. Uh, yep, and, and Dearness Johnson is a mid-round pick, I think, too. Uh, I expect no, I think him to he could take be a flex. A lot of that passing work that Kareem Hunt was getting, some of it will go to Chubb, some of them should go to the Ernest, who proved that he's incredibly capable as well. And that's why the Browns gave him that little contract. Yep. So just keep your eye on that one as well. A uh, couple things, uh, viewer requests. So we actually got a viewer request to make a logo for the podcast. So, uh, person who requested this, uh, Leo Hample, he's a he's a great friend of the podcast. Very excited to see what he's able to do and look forward to our new logo soon. Uh, really one big viewer request that I want to cover quickly, and this is relevant to the tight ends that we're going to be covering later. Someone asked me uh, why I should never draft Cole Komet. Uh, and I feel like this is a trap. I feel like this is a trick question because this person specifically knows I love Cole Komet and that I'm drafting him everywhere. But that being said, I'm going to honor his request here and let's and talk about the case that you could make 
to not draft Cole Komet. And I think the first thing and the first point really when you're looking at Komet is the utter lack of touchdowns that not only he had, because Komet did not have, I don't believe he had a touchdown the entire season. Let me verify that, but I believe he did not have a single touchdown during the entire 2021 season. Now, that is correct? Yeah, he has two career touchdowns. Two career touchdowns. So there's that. So he's not a high-volume scorer. Now, you could say that's going to correct itself, but we don't know. He could just be a guy that doesn't get open in the end zone. So that is a problem. And the second problem, and I think the more relevant problem, is he's on the Chicago Bears. And the Bears as a whole, I don't think they got their 10th touchdown, their 10th passing touchdown as a team until December. That level of offensive ineptitude is completely unheard of in the modern NFL. Yet the Bears somehow did it. The Bears are the only franchise in NFL history to not have a single passer in their entire history. Bears, I think, are over 100 years old now. They have not had a single passer throw for over 4,000 yards. Until this year. You think think Justin Fields starts for 4,000 yards this year? Uh, I think it's certainly possible. I, I think it's possible if he has the greatest season of all times by a Chicago Bears quarterback. That's uh, 235 passing yards a game. He plays every game. That's not that many. I mean, that's not that many, but the Bears have a new head coach. They have a new offensive scheme. And they do not have any pass catchers. Except for Cole Komet. And Darnell Mooney. But, yeah. yeah. No, I, think you know I don't the think case Darnell right Mooney on. and Cole Komet are going to combine for, like, 2,500 yards here. <laughs> because I think that's what it would take. Um, Byron Pringle too. No, but um, I think you you there there aren't that really there aren't that many points against Cole Komet, but the main one being he's never done it before. Um, but you know you can't think that way for fantasy football. You have to be able to project into the future. Um, so I, I do understand that reasoning. Um, but yeah, the case against Cole Komet is pretty limited. Uh, he, I guess he wasn't that productive in college, but he was a high draft pick. So, you know, those things probably cancel out on that front. If you've watched him play, he clearly was, for large stretches of the time last year, even with Darnell Mooney, the best pass catcher on the Bears. He was always open. The thing oh, is, sure. Justin Fields was not very good last year. Uh, why don't we segue this into our rankings, Jake? Right. So, yeah. Um, we can start with Cole said, if you want. Are we going to talk about Cole Komet first in the tight end rankings, even though he's sure. not our number one tight end? Wait, he's not your number one tight end? He is not my number one tight end. You want to know who <laughs> our number one tight end is because you have the same guy? Sure. So, segueing into the tight end segment, uh, number one, Brandon and I both have consensus, Travis Kelsey. 
I think this one is pretty self-explanatory. He's pretty much been tight end one for like the past five years running. Maybe Mark Andrews was tight end one last year on certain formats, but Travis is about as steady as they come. Uh, the Chiefs just got rid of Tyreek Hill, so a major target competitor. They brought in, of course, MVS, Juju. They drafted Sky Moore. But these guys are clearly second fiddle to Kelsey on this offense. Uh, I guess the only question here is, does Kelsey fall off a cliff at some point? Does he age gracefully like we've seen Tony Gonzalez do? Because if Travis Kelsey ages gracefully, there's zero reason not to draft him as the number one tight end. Yeah, I think um, the discussion about Travis Kelsey aging uh, is a little bit overblown. Um, you know, if you draft, we haven't projected the tight end one. And I feel like even if you were to fall off a cliff in terms of athletic ability, you know, he'd fall to tight end three or four. Um you know, he's starting from such a high place relative to these other guys. So I'm really not that worried about Travis Kelsey, but his numbers might have taken a, a very minor dip in terms of efficiency last year. But if even if you project for even less efficiency this year, um, he should just have so much more volume without Tyreek Hill that it doesn't matter. So totally in on Travis Kelsey this year. Haven't gotten a chance to draft him yet, but certainly think – like always, he's a very viable pick at the end of the first round. Absolutely. Uh, I've had people ask me, uh, like in keeper leagues, like should I center my team around Travis Kelsey if I can? Because I can keep like Josh Allen super late. I can keep running back super late. And if you're in that type of situation, then that's definitely more of a viable strategy than in a redraft league where you would kind of have to take a risk. But Travis Kelsey should absolutely be going towards the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. Uh, I don't see any reason not to, and he's such an advantage. Uh, that being said, uh, number two, we have I have Kyle Pitts. You have him at number three. Uh, he's our consensus two. Kyle Pitts did it, Brandon. He broke the rookie tight end receiving record. Yeah, you were Evan talking Ingram. that up last it. season. Uh, and, and Evan Ingram can now fade into the doldrums of history. We don't have to remember him anymore. I don't think we should ever forget him because <laughs> for so long he was the high watermark of a tight end entering league. So in order to remember the good times, you also need to remember the bad times here. And oh, that boy. certainly was a bad time for the tight end position. But hey, uh, what happens aside, when Kyle Pitts loses his tight end designation? What happens then? Does Engram get his record back? Um, you're really asking a tough question here. I would say <laughs> no, because at the time he was playing tight end, like, like with Corderell Patterson, uh, he was designated as a wide receiver for the first few years of his career, and now he's designated as a running back. But that still doesn't erase the fact that he was a wide receiver. So I, I think the rookie tight end receiving record is safe. So Kyle Pitts, he was the tight end six in PPR. Uh, so we were a little off on that. I think we had him at tight end four last year. Uh, one touchdown. So he kind of pulled a cold commit here, and he didn't yeah. really score. 
that's why we were wrong. Um, really just uh, touchdown luck. Yeah, I, 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 Kyle Pitts is a stud. I think he gets a little bit more than one touchdown. He could, he could very well pull another Cole Komet where he just increases his yards and doesn't score any touchdowns, in which case he'd <laughs> still be a top 10, top 10, top five tight end. So Absolutely. Kyle Pitts I'm not worried about at all. And he's he's clearly the number one target in the Falcons' offense. Yeah, and hopefully Drake London can uh, take some attention away from him, which should help with the red zone work. Um, and as Cordero, Pat- Cordero Patterson was like super effective in the red zone last year, um, and as he ages and becomes less effective in the red zone, you know, you think that they would have to start including other options like Kyle Pitts. Um, so I have him projected for, uh, I believe, seven touchdowns this year. Uh, eight now. touchdowns. Eight touchdowns. Um, which is, I have him know, getting seven. Yeah. So we're 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 both all in on uh, Pitts becoming more of a normal red zone type, red zone threat like Pitts usually are. Kyle Pitts also might be the single most valuable dynasty asset as well. That's uh, Can that's we a make that praise. argument? Um, I think you could make that argument. Um, I don't know if I would value him that way, but um, I'd be certainly in the top 15. That's for sure. That's for sure. He still doesn't have a lot of quarterbacks. Gee, if that is something that you value. I mean, um, but, he had, I guess the other thing that we have to mention, he, he did have Matt Ryan throwing in the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Clearly, Mariota is a downgrade. Uh, as a passer, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Desmond Ritter would also be a downgrade. So, uh, but but I don't really see that holding confidence back this year. I, the, the development from year one to year two should be able to outweigh the quarterback downgrade. Yeah, uh, I guess we in our, our number three tight end. This is kind of the last guy in a tier of tight ends who are clearly the number one receiving option on their team. Mark Andrews. He he was fabulous last year. Uh, really, I think my ranking for Mark Andrews is more of my distrust for Lamar. I have him at four. You have him at two. I distrust. Lamar's ability to throw for over 3,500 yards more than I trust Mark Andrews. That, for me, is why Mark Andrews is number four. He was the tight end one last year, though. Over Kelsey in a lot of formats. He had 331 fantasy points in a 1.25 tight end reception premium league. Uh, 107 receptions, 1,361 yards, uh, nine touchdowns. My, I don't know if he continues to take that large of a percentage of the Baltimore Ravens passing offense because let's pull up Lamar's stats here. I believe that is around half of what he passed for last year. Now, Lamar was also hurt, but... Yeah, Lamar passed for 2,882 yards. He was healthy for 12 games. So, 
let's say Lamar's healthy for the whole season. Uh, I I would assume if he's on the same game pace, Lamar would throw for just over 4,000 yards, so 4,082. This is by far Lamar's best passing season. Uh, Mark Andrews, maybe he gets another 100 or two yards. Let's give him around 1,500. Uh, assuming a fully healthy Lamar. That would mean Mark Andrews is getting 38% of Lamar's yards and probably more than 38% of the targets. So if you think Mark Andrews is going to command that much of the passing volume in the Baltimore offense, then there's zero reason not to draft him as the number one tight end. But if you have doubts about the Baltimore passing offense like I do, or doubts that he's going to get 154 targets plus again, then, yeah, I I, I can see a world where Mark Andrews is not in the top three. Any yeah. thoughts on that? Anything you want to refute? Um, I, I, I think the Ravens are going to pass less than last year, but more of that passing will be done by Lamar if he's healthy. Um, so I have Mark Andrews for about 1,200 yards, a little bit less than last year. Um, he will be certainly benefiting from Hollywood Brown leaving the team. Hollywood was commanding a large chunk of targets. Um, so Mark Andrews should be the clear number one option on a team whose number two option is Rashad Bateman, who I'm excited about as well, but is a, a you know younger, inexperienced receiver. So I don't really think that there's going to be that big of a role shift with Lamar's baseline of production is like at least 3,000 yards and Mark Andrews should get at least 25% of Lamar Jackson's yards. Um, but I think it's much more likely that Lamar throws for about 4,000 yards and Mark Andrews gets closer to 30% of those yards. Uh, in addition to that, he is an excellent red zone threat. Um, and the Ravens, I expect to be very competitive this year. Um, so there isn't any concerns about like, you know, uh, you know, him staying out for minor injuries or anything like that. Um, so I am definitely in on Mark Andrews. I think at this point in the dynasty format, you'd have to have him ahead of Travis Kelsey, given their pretty massive age difference. And Mark Andrews, uh, extreme production and chemistry with a quarterback that is also young and should be with him for the rest of his career. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have an argument against that in Dynasty on Mark Andrews over Kelsey. I just think in redraft, uh, Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes is going to throw more than Lamar Jackson. I think that leads to more opportunities for Travis Kelsey, who's his number no, one option. I think, I think Kelsey's floor in terms of receptions is much higher. Um, and that's why I have him for for a few more receptions, and that, that makes up most of the difference between the two players. Yeah, I have Kelsey for 15 more receptions. A uh, little over 100 more yards. Uh, so a pretty sizable gap between those two guys, all things considered. Yeah, that's about a reception more per game. Uh, next, in this next group of tight ends, uh, you have Darren Waller and George Kittle, guys who were perennial top three guys for like the past three seasons, but have kind of dropped off. I have Darren Waller at three. 
and you have him at six. You have George Kittle at four, and I have him at six. So what I want to do for these next two is I want each of us, I'll give an argument for Darren Waller, and then you give one against, and then you give the one for Kittle, and I'll go against Kittle. So starting off, Darren Waller, I think, is the clear number two passing option on the Raiders. Hunter Henry got most of his production when everyone else was hurt. You're bringing Devontae Adams. Sorry, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro. We'll talk about Hunter Henry later. Hunter Renfro <laughs> got most of his production when, when everyone else was hurt or out. And when Henry Ruggs got arrested for for the unfortunate car accident that he got in. Uh, Darren Waller, before the injury to him, was the number one passing option in the Raiders' offense. I do think he defers that to Devontae Adams, but I do think he becomes the number two passing option. Uh, Looking at his game log last year, Darren Waller got 29, 12, 11, 16, 9.5, 12.15, and then he got hurt in the Dallas game. So he, he was also hurt in the Philadelphia game. He didn't play that one. But clearly, for the most part, Darren Waller's giving you at least 12 to 13 points per game. And I expect that to continue – he was not – in most of those games, he was only getting around seven targets and around five receptions. So he was he, – he's very efficient with his receptions. He's – overall, he has Derek Carr's trust. He does have a contract. Now, there are rumors of him holding out, but I would imagine the Raiders would eventually give him more money. And there – and really, the the one, I think, big thing that people say is Devontae Adams is going to take all the targets. Derek Carr hasn't supported two options. That's just raw. And we talked about it in the wide receiver episode, but the year that Derek Carr, his third season, he supported two top 20 wide receiver options, Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper. So Derek Carr does have evidence that he can do that. I think Darren Waller is the second option. And because he's a tight end, I, I think that vaults him into the top five of his position. He's always been efficient with the number of targets he gets and the number of receptions because he doesn't get like these huge games like Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews will where they get all the targets. He's just really good with that. Yeah, so the case for Darren Waller is certainly a good one. He's a good player, obviously, very productive. Um, but the case against Darren Waller is, is pretty simple. Um, he is no longer the number one option. Derek Carr definitely kind of zones in on one guy. We see it with Darren Waller all the time. And then when Darren Waller was out, we saw it again with Hunter Renfro, where Hunter Renfro was commanding all the targets. Um, and now uh, Derek Carr has chemistry with Hunter Renfro, but more importantly, has Devontae Adams. Um, so I expect Devontae Adams to be the number one target by quite a bit. Um, and I don't think Hunter Renfro will just go away. Um, but where I think this is going to be the biggest problem is in the red zone. Um, Devontae Adams is the best 
wide receiver at catching touchdowns. He's just so good at route running down by the goal line. Um, and it allowed Aaron Rodgers to have a lot of easy throws uh, for years to wide open Devontae Adams in the end zone. Um, and Hunter Renfro is probably in the top 10, uh, you know, short yardage route runners too. You see videos of Cooper Cup doing crazy things by the goal line. And then Hunter Renfro, uh, you know, during those same weeks was also making, you know, crazy route running highlights that were capturing the attention of Instagram and Twitter. Um, so Darren Waller has to compete, you know, with two guys, which is not a problem generally for a tight end, but he's competing with two elite touchdown getters. And I don't think that this offense is going to be, you know, spurring off a ridiculous number of touchdowns that will allow Darren Waller to be the third biggest touchdown getter and still get, you know, nine or 10 touchdowns. I think his, his ceiling is capped there. Um, so definitely down on Darren Waller this year. Um, you know, not too far down, have him at the tight end six, but I think there are other guys that clearly will be getting uh, more of those valuable red zone targets than Darren Waller. Yeah, I can definitely see a scenario where Darren Waller becomes a third receiving option on his team. I just don't think that's going to happen this year. Yeah, I, I, I think... I'm... Still not I think he's going to have the third most t- touchdowns, um, but the second most yards. Um, All right. And I think that'll be a pretty big adjustment for him coming from most touchdowns and most yards when he was uh, killing it with Derek Carr two years ago. All right. I um, want to make the case for George Kittle before we get into kind of the guys that start to become a little bit more iffy at the tight end position. Sure. I, I think so I have um, George Kittle at 10 and 4, Waller at 10 and 6, and I think at 10 and 5, um, I have somebody who I'm not that iffy about. But um, yeah, George Kittle, um, by all accounts, had a down year last year. I remember him, you know, disappointing pretty consistently. Um, and then when you go and check the stats, oh, just a casual 910 yards and 71 touchdowns, or 71 receptions, excuse me, 71 receptions and six touchdowns. 14 games. Um, that's a crazy season. Um, projected over 17 games if he were to stay healthy for a full year. Um, and he is, you know, supposedly rested. Um, he has some nagging injuries that have plagued him his whole career, apparently, that he's worked on this offseason. So hopefully he comes back healthier than ever. Um, and really, my only concern with George Kittle is the quarterback play gap between Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. And I don't think that like, his target share is going to be negatively affected. Like Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, liked throwing to George Kittle, who wouldn't, but it's not like he zeroed in on him. Um, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk were plenty productive in that system. Um, but I will say that there is a chance that Trey Lance throws to George Kittle more than Jimmy Garoppolo did because rookie tight end, rookie, rookie quarterbacks tend to throw it to their tight ends. Um, so I expect him to kind of do what George Kittle does, uh, put up a 1,000 yards, put up five or six touchdowns. And I think this year, 1,000 yards and five or six touchdowns will be good for the tight end four. Uh, so I don't, you know, project him to be doing better than he has in the past. But I think that, you know, considering a little boost from having a rookie quarterback, um, He'll he'll finish tight end four 
uh, an area that he's he's kind of used to finishing in. Right. So, real quick, I, I've seen studies on, and this is going to be my the start of my argument against George Kittle. I've seen studies on do first, second year quarterbacks tend to throw their, their tight ends more. And the results tend to be unclear. I don't know that we can necessarily rely on that when looking at George Kittle. That being said, I think there are other reasons why I'm avoiding George Kittle this year. You'd mentioned the quarterback transition from Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance. I think that is going to have an impact. I think Trey Lance is going to air it out way more. I think he's going to be a lot riskier. So I think that's going to hurt Debo. I think that's going to hurt a guy like George Kittle that'll maybe dominate the middle of the field and dominate that area where maybe, hey, if we just need like eight yards, just throw it to George Kittle. He'll he'll catch it. I think he's going to target Brandon Ayuk a little bit more as a result of that. I'm not sure if George Kittle is the number one option on his team. I'm a little bit nervous, all things considered, about Debo Samuel. I'm nervous about Brandon Ayuk, who has looked really good in training camp and has not been put in the Kyle Shanahan doghouse in like the past two years. I'm concerned that San Francisco is going to run more than they're going to throw. I think there is a chance that the San Francisco 49ers run the football this year more than they throw. And in that case, I do not think that George Kittle will have enough of a workload to be a top five tight end. I have him as my tight end six, so I'm not super down on him. But at the same time, I do think there's enough uncertainty where we have to have pops. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't find myself drafting Kittle uh, too often at his ADP, even though I do have him as the tight end four. Um, and we can talk about who we tend to draft later. I know you already mentioned Cole Komet. Uh, we're almost there. But Jake, your tight end five and my tight end five both haven't been discussed yet. Uh, tell me about yours and why you think he's better than mine. Yeah, so kind of this, let's talk about this whole next group. Dalton Schultz, TJ Hawkinson, Cole Komet, Zach Ertz, and Dallas Scott. Dallas Goddard is my tight end five. I'm very excited about him. I'm very bullish on the Eagles offense as a whole. And that, at the end of last season, when we were all disappointed in Dallas Goddard and our teams all missed the playoffs because we drafted Dallas Goddard to be our tight end one, he was going to be, he was going to be the guy that breaks out into the top three. Zacherts is finally gone halfway through the season and he started disappointing. The first couple games. The last four games, he was on average the tight end four. So I'm I think there's enough of a rapport between him and Jalen Hurts where Dallas Goddard will get a decent chunk of the passing work. I think the Eagles are going to be primarily running through three guys in their passing offense. I think they're gonna run through Devonta Smith. I think they're gonna run through AJ Brown and I think they're gonna run into Dallas Goddard. And of these guys, I think Jalen has shown the most trust in Dallas. 
I think they already have that rapport. I think Dallas and A.J. Brown are going to be dominant in the red zone. I have Dallas Goddard specifically catching six touchdowns, 85 receptions, and a little over 1,000 yards. Uh, I also have him taking up a, a, a large chunk of the Eagles passing offense, around like 22 23%. Uh, I, I, I'm just – Dallas Goddard – Towards the end of last season was a top five tight end. Uh, I think even with the new passing options, it's going to open up the field more for Dallas Goddard. I think the Eagles want to throw it more. Uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, they were averaging over 40 throws a game. I, I think Dallas Goddard can see at least eight of those targets. So to me, I'm I'm excited about the Eagles passing offense as a whole, and that's why I'm excited about Dallas Goddard. Uh, I guess in this group, we have TJ Hawkinson, both of are consensus seven. Uh, real quick, I don't think he's going to be the number one option in his offense, but he's really good, and he's good enough to get a decent chunk of the passing work. Uh, we have Cole Komet as our consensus eight. We've talked about Cole Komet a lot, why we like him. Zach Ertz as our consensus nine. Uh, real quick before we get into your tight end five, Brand. Uh, are you drafting Zach Ertz, knowing that after the first six weeks he will probably see a drop off in play when DeAndre Hopkins comes back? Um, I think I have no problem drafting Zach Ertz. Um, you know, if you want, um, you can kind of build a tight end one by drafting Zach Ertz. And then using um, one of your bench spots to stream a backup tight end over the course of the first six weeks, and if you know if you do this streaming process shrewdly, you will likely be able to find a tight end one that you can use in place of Zachary starting in week seven. So let's say you're in your league, you're starting Zachary week one and week two, then all of a sudden. Robert Tunyon is catching lots of touchdowns in the first three weeks and you pick him up, then Robert Tunyon can take over for you as your tight end one. You know, because the tight end group uh, is, is relatively weak, um, it leaves a lot of room for variance uh, where guys can pop up and suddenly be tight end ones. So you can have your locked in tight end one in Zach Ertz for six weeks and then find another tight end one to fill in afterwards. Um, and I have no problem with that. You could also try to trade Zach Ertz, but I think the fantasy football community is smart enough at this point that nobody's going to take Zach Ertz from you um, because everybody knows that DeAndre Hopkins is coming back. All right. Yep, that being said, I, I agree with that. I'm not going to really take Zach Ertz unless I know I can pair him with a guy that I think is going to be a tight end one. Even then, I might not take Zach Ertz. Uh Let's real quick get into your tight end five, uh, Dalton Schultz. Why are you so high on Dalton, Brandon? Yeah, so Dalton Schultz last year played 17 games, had 800 yards, 80 catches, and eight touchdowns. Um, so the symmetry is obviously fun. Um, but I don't know. I, I was looking at this Dallas, this Dalton Schultz stat line, and I was thinking to myself, why would this get worse? than it was last year. Uh, Dak Prescott is an extra year removed from his injury. 
Um, I expect his passing to be as good as ever. Um, the offensive line is basically the same as it was last year. You know, not elite anymore, but still really good. Um, the run game should be good, just like it was last year, but they have the same two guys. Um, and there's no Mario Cooper anymore. Uh, so Don Schultz moves one rung up the pecking order. You know, Jalen Tolbert is a mid-round rookie who's not going to be able to replace Amari Cooper on his own. And Dallas is still going to need to pass to win games, uh, even with, you know, Zeke and Tony potentially being a little bit, maybe a little bit more efficient on the ground, but there's not really too much reason for that to happen either. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, the only big change in this offense is Amari Cooper leaving. Dalton Schultz should benefit. We have a tight end who had 80 catches, eight touchdowns, and 800 yards, and I see no reason why the arrow should point down on him. Uh, so I have him projected for the same 80 catches, a few extra yards, seven touchdowns, because uh, you know, that, that last year's touchdown percentage was a little high. Um, but if he does exactly what he did last year, he stats out as my 10 and 5. Um, and I, I see no reason why he wouldn't be able to repeat that performance. Yeah, I definitely think that is – I definitely think there is an argument where Dallas – sorry, Dalton Schultz, tight end of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm getting my NFC East tight ends mixed up here. Uh, I think he can definitely hit the top five. I have him as my tight end nine. I am a little concerned that he's going to – I'm concerned and excited at the same time that he's taking on a bigger offensive role because – at times, Dalton Schultz was the uh, fourth option on the Cowboys passing offense. So basically, he didn't really need a game plan for Dalton Schultz as much as he did for some of these other guys. But at the same time, being the second option in the Cowboys offense, which has supported tight ends like Jason Witt in the past, you – these guys typically see a lot of volume. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see where Dalton Schultz is going. Uh, he's going pretty high in drafts, though. So I wouldn't necessarily draft him where his ADP is. But I I'm, I think there is a very clear path to at least top 10. Yeah, but I also think it's uh, worth noting that it is a contract year for Dalton Schultz. Um, so... He has every I believe he's playing on the tag. Was that confirmed? Uh, yep, yep, he's playing on the tag. So, you know, at any point, um, you know, he, he has every incentive to play through injury. Um, and you know, he wants this to be a, a big year for him more than anybody. Last group of tight ends I really want to get into before we go into the defense and the kickers. Uh, Noah Fant, Mike Jacecki, Pat Freerooth, Dawson Knox, and Hunter Henry. Uh, these are the tight end 11 through 15. At this point, you're streaming these types of guys. Uh, of these streaming tight ends, Brandon, who are you most excited about within this group or even outside of this group? Yeah, so the two guys that I like in this big group uh, no, I'll give you th my three favorite. My three favorite are Noah Fant, Austin Hooper, and Irv Smith Jr. Uh, Noah Fant, um, you know, at times in drafts in the past has gone as like the tight end five or six off the board. 
And he never had that like really big splashy season that everybody was hoping for, but he was always like a dependable tight end. Um, and when he was going in the middle rounds of drafts, that was a little bit disappointing, but now at the end of the draft where he's going, um, having that dependability is totally fine. Um, and he's switching to a new offense, but he has the same quarterback. That is a scenario that almost never happens. So he'll be a data point that gets talked about quite a bit here. But Drew Locke, you know, has a rapport with him already, um, has a history of, of targeting him and the tight end position as a whole. So uh, I expect him to be, you know, kind of like that steady Eddie, four receptions, 40 yards sort of tight end that he's been. But now you can get him several rounds cheaper than you have in the past. And, you know, he is still a young tight end. And young tight ends occasionally take a big leap in the later years of their uh, rookie contract. So totally think it's possible that Noah Fan has a breakout year. But I think he is relatively safe floor-wise. Um, I like Irv Smith as the uh, one of the, the higher uh, passing options in the Vikings offense that is expected to pass a bit more. Um, he also has, you know, high draft capital invested in him um, and some injury problems in the past. So he has every reason to ball out this year now that he's finally healthy um, and you can get him for pretty cheap. And lastly, I really like Austin Hooper. Uh, lots and lots of uncertainty with who the pass catchers are going to be in Tennessee. Austin Hooper has had a 75 catch season in the past. And I think that if uh, Ryan Tannehill doesn't you know completely trust Traylon Burks right away, then Austin Hooper will be uh, you know very 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 involved in that offense where he should be on the field to support the running game as well. So those three guys, uh, they don't seem to have a lot of red flags to me. What are uh, what are you worried about there, Jake? Uh so I'm not necessarily worried about any of these guys, except for maybe Noah Fant. I would mostly stream these guys. Uh, I guess in the tight end position as a whole, I'm worried about guys that getting like five or less points a week. I remember last year I went with Noah Fant, Mike Kosecki, and there were weeks where I picked the wrong guy and I got no points out of the position. So that being said, I'd be a little more comfortable getting a guy that I know has a floor higher than zero. Even if I have to pay a little bit more to do so. But getting into it, the two guys that I'm excited about, like within the streaming type group is Hunter Henry and Mo Cox. I think Hunter Henry can be the number one option on the Patriots if things break right. And he and Mac Jones had a rapport, uh, specifically in the red zone. Hunter Henry last year scored. Uh, I'm pulling it up now. I Hunter think it's nine touchdowns. I think it was about, yeah, I think it was nine. Let's, I'm going to clarify that in a minute. But while I do that, Hunter Henry does get into the end zone and he does score a lot. He was uber talented. He he did score nine touchdowns. He usually gets over 600 yards. He's gotten over 600 yards for the past three seasons. Uh, he scored nine touchdowns last year. 
And I believe that was good for a finish just outside of the top 10. So there's definitely that potential with Hunter Henry. And then for Mo Alley-Cox, Matt Ryan has traditionally supported a decent tight end option in fantasy football each year. Uh, and Mo Alley-Cox could, could find himself as the second receiving option on the Colts. So I do think there is room there. Uh, getting into it, uh, let's talk kicker and defense real quick. So do we want to just list our top 12 kickers here quickly and then talk on the strategy for drafting kickers? Sure, sure. All right, so I'll give you the honors to go first. Okay, I'm I'm uh, a little perplexed at what you did with the spreadsheet here, but here we go. Uh, my top 12 goes Dylan Daniel Carlson, number one, from the Raiders, Justin Tucker, Brandon McManus, Nick Folk on the Patriots, Matt Gay from the Rams, Evan Money McPherson on the Bengals, Jason Sanders on the Dolphins, Chris Boswell on the Steelers, Ryan Suckup now on the Bucks, Rodrigo Blankenship now healthy on the Colts, Matt Prater for the Cardinals, Tyler Bass for the Bills. All right, I have Evan McPherson on the Bengals, Daniel Carlson of the Raiders, Matt Gay of the LA Rams, Rodrigo Blankenship of the Colts, Justin Tucker of the Ravens, Brandon McManus of the Broncos, Young Hoi Koo of the Atlanta Falcons, Tyler Bass of the Buffalo Bills, Quinn Norton of the New England Patriots. So we have two different guys winning the job. So it's going to be interesting to see there. Jake Elliott of the Philadelphia Eagles, Ryan Suckup, I believe, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Matt Prater of the Arizona Cardinals. So my strategy for kicker, and I don't know if you agree with this, is I want a kicker on a decent offense, but not too good of an offense that they'll be scoring a lot of touchdowns. Yeah, no, I think that's the right way of thinking about it. Um, what I like to look for is offenses that have lots of yards and then have trouble down in the red zone. Um, and every year there are some teams that struggle in the red zone. Um, I know we've seen in the past, for example, Matt Ryan um, and his longtime kicker, Matt Bryant, be very successful for fantasy because Matt Ryan was not that good in the red zone. You know, part And part of that was resulting in Julio Jones not getting those touchdowns. And part of why Julio wasn't getting touchdowns is because Matt Bryant was taking field goals instead. Um, so that is definitely something I look for. Lots of yards, but not lots of touchdowns. Um, I also think for the kicker position, it's important to look at the defense that they're going against. Um, if the defense is a good red zone defense, but not a good defense in general, then that's the perfect situation for a kicker if you're streaming. Um, but in general, a bad defense is better than a good defense, um, you know, not considering the separation between red zone and general defensive play. Um, a couple other things I look for with kickers is if a kicker gets hurt, um, usually it's a groin or a lower leg injury. Um, and I won't use that kicker for the rest of the year. Um, these kickers are able to play through these injuries and they always are worse when they're playing through them. 
Um, so usually what you'll see is, you know, somebody like Will Lutz will have a groin injury and then he'll kick for a couple games and be worse. And then he'll go on the IR and they'll find a new kicker. Um, so don't play with fire. You have a great kicker and he gets hurt. He's not a great kicker anymore. Just move on. Um, and otherwise, you know, there aren't too many things to consider. Sometimes there's a kicker that's good enough and hot enough to help you win your league. But the difference between the kicker one and the kicker 16 last year was just two points per game. Um, so not a ton you can do there. Um, but but streaming kickers um, is a very viable strategy that gives you a very, very high floor at the position, which is really all you can ask for. Yeah, I think my strategy is I'm either targeting a kicker or an offense that's so good that he's going to be kicking at least four PATs per game, so he has a floor. Or I'm going to target an offense, like maybe the Cleveland Browns, Cade York, where we think they're going to be a really good yardage offense, but we don't know how they're going to do in the red zone, especially given what's going on with their quarterback situation. So I think that that has room for a guy who can definitely get a lot of kicks out, a lot of high volume, for the position and get points that way. Uh, I'm also looking for accuracy in my kicker as well, especially if I'm in a league where I lose points when my kicker misses a kick. Uh, kickers on average are hitting about 89% of their attempts. So I'm looking for the guys who are a little more automatic just so that they have that higher floor as well. I think definitely, though, you can stream kicker depending on matchup, depending on the team. And, yeah, I, I agree if you have an injury or if something happens where your kicker falls out of favor, just move on. Move on a week early rather than a week late. Uh, yeah, I guess the other thing we haven't talked about is um, coaching. Um, some coaches kick more field goals than others. Some are more conservative. Like Bill Belichick, for example, kicks a lot of field goals. That makes his kicker more appealing. Um, but if you have a coach like Doug Peterson, who is very resistant to kicking field goals, um, then you want to stay away from that kicker most often. So, you know, accuracy certainly matters, but it's really a volume game when it comes to the kicking. Uh, so you just want as many field goal attempts as possible. And Doug will not give you those, as well as a variety of other more aggressive quarterbacks like Brian Daly and uh, you know, Sean McVay actually does kick field goals. So you just got to kind of look into their history and see uh, who's who's being aggressive and who's just kicking field goals. Yeah, every little advantage that you can get, you can you should definitely take. Uh, uh, who are you drafting, Jake? Which am I drafting? You, yeah, which kicker do you wind up drafting? I usually find myself drafting Brandon McManus a lot. Yeah, I take and a lot Daniel of McManus too. I remember um, Jason Myers on the Seahawks had a few really good seasons with Russell Wilson. Um, and I kind of expect the Denver kicker combined with the Russell Wilson factor to be uh, a pretty good recipe for success this year. Um, and I'm also interested in Rodrigo Blankenship. I know he's, he's coming off an injury from last season, so he should be okay now. Um, and if he, if he demonstrates that he's kicking effectively, I do like the fact that Matt Ryan is his quarterback. He is a high-quality kicker. Frank Reich is probably middle of the road in terms of how aggressive he is. 
I would uh, say Frank Reich's a little conservative. I yeah, wouldn't say he's so, super aggressive. No, I, I wouldn't say that at all. So, yeah, so I, I'm interested in Rodrigo as well. I mean, it's a fun kicker to have, for sure. Fantasy football is fun after all, so. Uh, that's a, that's Who is the Patriots kicking competition, Brandon? Uh, Nickel. Gotta give it to my boy Quinn. All right. Uh, final segment here. Let's talk about defenses real quick. Uh, I do you. I don't see that you necessarily have rankings here so much as you have. Oh no, you do have rankings. Uh, yep. So yeah. let's go over our defense rankings and then let's talk about. Uh, what the strategy is. And I see a lot of the teams that we have here are pretty different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we have two different types of rankings here. I'll just go through my process. Um, so I am only ever interested in streaming defense, uh, picking a, a defense and sticking with it for the whole year um, is going to be bad overall. Uh, for like 30 out of 32 teams. So you know, maybe you can get lucky and get a defense like the Cowboys defense was last year, which was pretty consistently very good. Um, but I'm focused on streaming defenses, which means when you're trapping, you're looking for a defense that has an easy opponent for week one. Um, so what I did is I looked at all of the week one schedules and I took a look at the teams and I said, all right, there are 17 teams that I don't want my fantasy defense playing against, you know, the best offenses like the Chargers and the Packers and the Chiefs. I don't want them anywhere near them, all the way down to the middle of the road offenses like the Dolphins and the Saints and the Ravens. Um, I want my the, the offense that my defense is going against to be worse than all those teams. Um, so then there were 15 teams left that had an easy week one matchup. So then I went to look at week two. Because one thing that can be helpful is you can stream a defense for multiple weeks if they have multiple good matchups in a row. Um, and then there were six teams that had easy matchups for week one and for week two. And those six teams being the Broncos, 49ers, Colts, Browns, Panthers, and Giants. Um, and then of those teams, you know, they all have easy matchups week one and week two. Then you take who the best defense is. Um, in my opinion, this year, that is the Broncos defense. So they are my defense number one when I'm drafting. Um, that being said, you know, because we're streaming defenses, this should be your last pick or your second to last pick. Um, so, you know, even though I had Broncos defense number one, I would never take them one round early uh, just to make sure that I can get them because I have six defenses here that I'm totally fine taking. Because everybody else is using, you know, season-long defense rankings, one of these six teams will certainly be available when you are ready to pick um, in the second to last or the last round. No, I agree. Uh, normally, I look at the week one matchup when I'm doing defense and draft two. I, I'm streaming defense. I'm looking for teams that I think are going to have bad offenses this, this year. Teams like, I think, Seattle, the Bears. The Giants, who perennially have a bad offense. The Jets usually have a pretty bad offense. I think the Texans could be a, a below-average offense. The Panthers, Falcons, those types of teams where they're, they're not – they don't have a great offensive outlook. And I'm drafting the defenses or I'm picking up the defenses that play those teams. Uh, that being said, 
in my season-long defensive rankings, I do have the Patriots first. I, I'm a huge fan of Bill Belichick. He's the greatest coach ever. Uh, he runs the greatest defense ever. The last time Bill Belichick had a fully healthy defense uh, was before uh, all the things that happened in 2020, 2019, and they were a historic – it was a historic year for fantasy and for defense as a whole. It, they they carried the Patriots to the playoffs, essentially. So – in Tom Brady's last year. So I if there is one defense – one or two that I'm going to hold on to, it's going to be the Patriots or it's going to be like the Steelers. But I am streaming for the most part. Yeah, I've been uh, just for those wondering, the Patriots start the year with the Dolphins and the Steelers. So, you know, I happen to think the Dolphins' offense is going to be pretty good. So I was avoiding that matchup. But certainly they're on the lower end of the teams to avoid list. So if you're not high on the Dolphins' offense, you can certainly go the Patriots' route as the Steelers' matchup week two looks pretty good um and the steelers start off the year with the Bengals, um so that's a matchup i want to avoid and the steelers defense you know probably is going to get a lot of hype in your league from uh people you know we talk about the terrible powell and the steelers good defense from the you know 1970s and everything so i'm probably avoiding the steelers because you don't want to use a relatively high draft pick to get the steelers defense and then immediately put them out against Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and company there. So, uh, yeah, but, but every every defense is worth looking at because of the streaming model. Um, and, uh, you know, but looking at it this way is definitely the, the right way to go about finding a defense. One final note before we close out. Uh, I would draft kicker over defense. And the reason why is – Kickers have a floor. Defenses usually have a ceiling. Just how fantasy football works, the more that a team scores against your defense, the less points that you're going to earn. So with defense, you're trying to pick a defense that isn't going to lose you points. More often than you're trying to pick a defense that'll get you like a enough points like let's say as a flex option because when we're picking these bad offenses that these defenses are going against we're picking it knowing that these offenses aren't going to score enough maybe they throw an interception or two or get a fumble and uh that limits the amount of points your defense loses or maybe if you're lucky the defense gains points but for the most part with the defenses unlike with every other position in fantasy you're mi- you're trying to minimize the loss rather than maximize the gain. At least that's how I view it. Yep, I think that's um, definitely part of a big part of the thought process. And like you know, you have to you have to realize like you know even if you take like let's say you're playing you you draft the defense that's going against the Jaguars. Like the Jaguars are still going to average about twenty one points per game over the course of the season. You know, if even if they're a far below average offense, and in most scoring systems, allowing 21 points produces a zero points defensive week. So, you know, you really need to be hunting for those things like turnovers and sacks, um, because, you know, just looking at points 
uh, more, more often than not, you're not going to get that big of a benefit from uh, that portion of the defensive scoring system. Um, but, you know, having a team that won't allow th 35 points, uh, which could cost you, you know, three points, you could get negative three for that, that, um, that is certainly very, very valuable on a week-to-week -week basis. Right, right, I think that does it for this episode. Uh, yeah, next week we do our over unders, as well yes. as our dynasty. Maybe we maybe we pick the guys that we like going in each round at their ADP as well. Set that up. So okay. with that being said, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. Peace out.